Hey, hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Harmful Habits Podcast. My name is Amin, and I just have a quick reminder that this season, each episode will also be airing live on our TikTok at Three Trees Change every Friday at noon Eastern time, so be sure to tune in and join the conversation as we record. We'll also be hosting daily lives most weekdays at noon, so please feel free to join to talk and argue with Ben. This is episode five of season three, and we will be talking about building resilient families and mindful practices. This is part one of a two-part conversation on this topic. But first, and as always, the one and only Elevation Beats. get started so i mean anything you would like to share from your time at trump university where to start you want to start with zebras <laughs> let me guess they were painted you were very knowledgeable <laughs> i knew i know you so well <laughs> yeah they're just black horses that they paint white stripes on not Ooh. white horses that they paint black stripes ah. on did you know that part isn't there a whole class at Trump University about whether they're black horses with white stripes or white horses with black stripes? There's a lot of classes about black and white things. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> do you mean say how much room for foolishness do you have? I don't know. It's, it's this small. is knowledge. This is wisdom. <laughs> Go ahead, I mean. <laughs> well, uh, now that you stole my big, you know, announcement about zebras, I don't... Was that what your uh, doctorate level thesis was on? Yes. That was my passion. I can't with you today. Is there anything else I mean? Do you like know turtles? I do I know don't turtles. want to know about turtles. <laughs> you don't want to know? No. I was taught not to respect consent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, gosh. Fine. I guess I won't share about turtles. No, no, no. Go ahead and tell <laughs> us about turtles. So, I mean, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? Wait, wait. I want to hear about turtles. No, we don't. <laughs> No one wants to hear this. Shit. I don't. I don't have plans for Valentine's Day. Is it they stole their home? Yeah, <laughs> they're they're illegally immigrating into their <laughs> shells. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we don't have any listeners on the show. Jesus, because <laughs> liberals are scared of the truth. <laughs> all right. Um, so now that means alienated all of our audience. Jeez. Demisa, you had a question. Yes, that's going to be what he's doing for Valentine's Day. He said nothing. Yeah, crying. Eating ice cream. Now we're gonna do like a a date over the weekend. Oh not, sweet! Yeah, Valentine's Day is on Tuesday, which is very inconsiderate of the calendar gods. Are you giving your fiance another picture of you in your caveman outfit this Valentine's, or is she Shh, tired it's a of it secret. by now? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? What Five you... years in a row. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, what are you guys doing? Nothing. Nothing. Wow. This is where the have, lo- have we lost our spark? Apparently, as I say, there's just no love there. At look, all. Look at the space between where we're sitting. Has it grown? You say we really aren't doing anything for Valentine's? Hell, I'm trying to get through the rest of the day. Damn. Yeah. It's <laughs> a rough start to your 2023, huh? Yeah. We'll, we'll figure something out, I'm sure. We won't. 
I'll uh, pick I'll get up. like some nerd cluster candy for Valentine's Day. <laughs> Ooh. I mean, can you write that one down? <laughs> nerd rope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's almost like a chain. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Multi-use. All right. So Do you know what the topic is today, Jimmy? It's fairly boring right now. Uh, it's my on mindfulness. Yep. On um, building resilient building families. Building resilient. Uh, resilient families. A resilient family. Wow. Have you done any research on this topic? I think I got it. It's all right here. All right. I mean, how are you feeling about this topic? I don't know yet. We'll see. Curious. Do you feel that um, your parents helped build a resilient family? In a way. What were some of the things they did that you really appreciated? Uh, just not acknowledging any of our negative emotions and to push through them. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I mean, I was thinking the same thing. I think my my household uh, really emphasized perseverance. Yeah, exactly. No time to be sad, no. mad, Mm-mm. angry, jealous, anything. No. You just no, got to keep no going. No time for that Just happiness and mm-hmm. being agreeable. Exactly. So toxic positivity. I don't even know if you'd call it that. Yeah. It wasn't very it's positive. It's <laughs> just toxic. <laughs> I think it's for, I don't know what we consider person. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I think hearts of perseverance could be a, a resilience, a resiliency factor. Mm-hmm. Like which parts? I think just being able to like, like there are going to be some adversities that we mm-hmm. all face. And at some point we still have to kind of just move through it. Now the approach wait, wait. in which. Can we turn that into t-shirts? What part? There's going to be some adversities and you're just going to have to move through it. That's a wordy t-shirt. It is. Okay. I feel like I'm about to curse you out. <laughs> Luckily, a lot of resilience was built in my home, so I should be good. What about your household? Yeah, let's hold off on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, just like what you both are saying probably too, like certain types of resilience were built, and it was all stuff I then had to go back and reconfigure based on the trauma Mm-hmm. That comes with that type of resilience, right? And that's what I think about the oops, sorry about the perseverance part is that I think there was parts of it that was missing that needed to happen in my family. Like, let's acknowledge how you feel, all these other things. Like, you know, is it sadness? Is it fear? And then, how do we help you kind of push through that? Versus, like, no one gives a shit that you're upset and mm-hmm. you're sad. You just need to do it. Like, is that we are we are just looking for a, a certain type of outcome? Yeah. So you're saying that has the strengths of getting you through it. But then later on, you have to go back and undo all the trauma. Yeah. Yes. You agree so with I think the three of us can agree that that's probably happened. For who? All the three of us in our oh, individual yeah, yeah. It households. Not be, it it's not, not healthy. No, I'm saying it may not be the world's experience. But I think, I, I don't want to say like because the three of us experience it. No, no I'm just saying in agreement. I think mm-hmm. the three of us can agree that those things happen in our particular house, in our homes growing We're up. We're both from immigrant families. Uh, yeah, I was just about to talk about that immigrant mentality, mm-hmm. uh, especially. Jesus was a bit more forced. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like my dad would <laughs> always, like my dad would always talk about how he was born in uh, this mud hut that now chickens inhabit. <laughs> and so that's where he comes from. And so he's like, well, nothing stopped me, and I didn't have time for my feelings, and you don't need to have time for yours, and you just got to keep pushing through, mm-hmm. which in some ways are admirable, but like you said, it ends up creating some trauma that you have to work backwards. And I, I feel like even he would admit that now he's at a stage where he's trying to work on it mm-hmm. for himself. So 
And I've spoken about that in the last podcast where my mom was able to acknowledge that she didn't, she, because of how she was raised, she used those same tools with me, appearing patterns with me and not acknowledging my feelings and emotions. I don't, she was able to acknowledge that. I don't think she understands the impact of it though. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she will now Mm -hmm. at her age. Yeah. Do you think the three of us should stop promoting um, glassware or glasses? That's so random. Sponsored by Warby Parker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are yours Warby Parker's? Yeah. Name? Oh my God, that is crazy. <laughs> we could have a whole merch. Mm-hmm. Warby Parker, like, hit us up. Yep. Like, the three of us are sporting yeah. your eyewear. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we could do a Who Wore It Better. I actually have Warby Parker sunglasses. Ooh. Yeah. So you feel that a lot of people in our generation, it means a different generation. Mm-hmm. What kind of raised, especially if they came from like immigrant families or families that experienced a lot of marginalization, mm-hmm. what kind of experienced this type of parenting, which is you have to survive and achieve academically so you stand a chance in the world. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yes. there's no time or space there for There is emotions. no time for this, for your feelings, to be in your feelings because no one cares about that. You need to work hard. So it was really pushed. And it, you know what's so interesting is um, even, and I'll specifically, be specific about my high school. So my high school, as I had mentioned previously, is a predominantly black high school. Uh, one of the few um, schools in South Carolina that didn't re- de- um, that didn't de- uh, didn't sec- desegregate, and so that was pushed on us in school. It was like you push through, like you have to be exceptional to all the other people in the world because you are a minority or this group, this school is minority. And so you have to be 10 steps ahead or three or four steps ahead. And all this other touchy feely stuff, like, you know, and that's what they were like, this touch, like you being upset or sad, like, no, you just push through. And so not only was that um, taught in my home, it was then reinforced around the people that, that taught me and the people that we looked up to in our schools. You're making a joke. Yeah, I was going to say, we had some touchy-feely stuff at our high school, but that teacher was later oh my God. arrested. <laughs> and I was say, even the middle school I attended was similar because it was a predominantly black middle school. Mm. And so it was about excellence, but it was all about academic excellence, not like you're sad. And like, like there were people in my I, school that- I wasn't that, joking about that, by the way. It was true. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry. That attempted to harm themselves. And it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is really sad. We can talk about it if you want to. And it was like half of a day, like someone committed suicide. And it's like, all right, so let's keep, like, we got this test we got to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's push through. What did you learn about the value of your emotions in that, in I, that experience? They weren't validated. Like, they weren't important. And so for the anxiety, for all these different things, like that wasn't like, it was like, what? You have anxiety. Like, what does that even mean? Um, it's so interesting. Like I talk to my mom now and I t- we talk about anxiety. And so shout out to Lily May Lied. She, a majority of the women, I won't say women, I think people in my family struggle with anxiety, um, more severe, some more severe than others. Um, but they don't talk about like they still talk about like this major mental health issue. Like, oh, you're going to see a therapist for anxiety. Like, why do you have to do that? And it's like, well, why wouldn't they? Like, so if for they your family, going it, to see a mental health specialist means like just you're, you're just having severe, a severe breakdown. Yes, um, in the words of my mother, someone you must be having a nervous breakdown if you're going mm-hmm. to see a therapist. Mean similar. Yeah, very similar. And then on top of it, I think uh, so. Growing up post nine eleven, my mom would be like. 
I don't want to see a therapist. They're going to put me on a list of, oh, crazy Muslim woman. <laughs> like, if something uh, happens, oh, like, yeah. they're going to look at her a certain way. And so, so it's that intersectionality of not being vulnerable within the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was very interesting. And before that, even, I think it was seen as a sign of weakness. So this episode is about resilience. And so far, you all have mentioned perseverance. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between resilience and perseverance? I think with resilience, when you you're building skills in order to be able to manage the emotions. I think and perseverance to me is just pushing through. You're just pushing past all these things. You're not stopping to recognize their stressors. How do I manage the stress? You're just constantly just pushing through. So perseverance is like a mindset and resilience is more becoming healthy and strong enough to manage life. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You need to take a quick break, you okay? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Having headphone issues? I am. Sorry. No, no, you're good. I just want to make sure you're comfortable. Um, And so building family resilience means creating um, structures in your family that lead to the emotional and physical health of your children. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? That would be, yes. And not just the children. I think we have to build those things within ourselves, right, in order to better manage our children. No, 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 no. (laughs) I think you have very traumatized adults who don't heal their past. Who create wonderfully balanced children. Oh, absolutely. I think that's exactly how it goes. Why work on yourself? Just work on fixing that kid. So there's a Fixing tic- the kid. <laughs> there's a Thich Nhat Hanh quote I like a lot, which says, peace in myself, peace in the world. And I think it applies to this. Like, if you don't have it, mm-hmm. you cannot offer it. Mm-hmm. So if you have a million bucks, you can pass that on to your children. Mm-hmm. If you have good emotional health, you can pass that on to your children. If you have good communication, you can pass that on to your children. Mm-hmm. I was speaking with someone um, in a session some weeks ago, and they were talking about they are struggling as a parent, um, as a single parent with uh, with depression, and it is becoming a bit debilitating. But then they were also telling me about their children who are really struggling in school, but wanted to talk about that. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to talk about you and like what we can do because in and being able to, for them to understand the concept of like your home will get better when you can get better. And of course, the children being able to get some resources as well. Um, but it was a lot of like, let's focus on you, the parent, because you, and I think, uh, and I see I know you were just be, you were joking about like you had to focus on you, but people, I mean, on the the, the child. But I think we a see lot it of all the time. I was gonna say you see it with teachers, you see it with uh, like I think you see it with therapists. Like let's work on this client, and it's like you're falling apart or in like between sessions. The trainings that we do, people will come in and say, "Hey, can you come teach my students this?" It's like, no, you embody mm-hmm. this. If you embody it, your students will naturally learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people always want to give other people things rather than make the difficult change themselves. It's interesting, right? I mean, we do the TikTok lives, mm-hmm. and people always talk about what changes need to be made in the system. Typically white males. Yeah. We'll talk about what changes need to be made in the systems, and we'll say, what do you need to change? And like, uh, nothing. And because people don't want to do the inner work mm-hmm. that then leads to the outer consequences, mm-hmm. positive and um, Well, it takes work. Yeah. Even and patience. Uh, sorry. Uh, are, are you yeah, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, so uh, even in group this week, somebody was saying, oh, well, society doesn't let males communicate. It's like, okay, do you have a son? Yes. All right, you can teach him how to communicate. You mm-hmm. can communicate and learn uh, learn for yourself how to communicate. In his world, he will see men who can communicate. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, if, if he embodies it, his son won't say society doesn't teach men how to communicate because his father learned how mm-hmm. to communicate. Right. It was interesting. I went and had lunch with our son before I came here. And um, he sat down, he's like, Dad, can you just hug me while we eat? And I can't, 
like, can you imagine saying that to your mom growing up or saying it to an adult growing mm-hmm. up? Like asking someone to help meet your emotional needs through physical, mm-hmm, through physical touch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or just doing it without having to ask. But the fact that he even knows that that's what he needs, right? And so I able said, to ask. hell no, eat your food. <laughs> you probably did. What the hell's wrong with you, son? Um, but it's interesting because like um, resilience also has to be kind of individualized, right? So mm-hmm. he wanted me to sit with him and hold him while he ate and we did not talk because mm-hmm. um, he likes to eat in silence. And then our daughter comes in. Yeah, she ain't, she ain't trying to do all that. Mm-mm. She wanted to chat, 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 mm-hmm. chat, chat, chat. And then this happened and then that happened and this happened mm-hmm. and then that happened. And so with her, holding her looks more like, really? Wow. What did you do? What happened next? I think that's the way that she mm-hmm. often feels held and feels comfortable is by people engaging with her. Right. Sincerely in that dialogue. So let's green, yellow, red it a bit before we go any further. So the definition of resilience, we got that kind of building emotionally, physically healthy mm-hmm. families. Um, green is just doing this in a way where we can handle daily events, right? Mm-hmm. Yellow is how you might respond when issues come up. Mm-hmm. And then red would be um, building families that can respond well to trauma. Yeah. Are you in agreement with that? I'm in agreement. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's start with green level. What kind of things need to be in place in a family to just have enough resilience to manage day-to-day life? Um, I think one of the things that I think we do in our house, um, and I I want to take responsibility for this, uh, or at least I'll give myself some kudos for it. Um, there was, a, I don't know what psychologist or psychiatrist it was, but they were talking Benjamin about... Benjamin Motley. Um, having time where there is no... Dr. Motley to you. Um, auditory or visual stimuli in the house. Oh my goodness! You're about, you're about to do that thing. Oh, this drives Shut me insane. Up. Don't don't do the thing that. Oh, I told you that you didn't tell me that. So I mean, oh, have uh, you have mm, you not mm, seen mm, this happen? Mm, so I will share something with you, dude. You never told me that. Days go by. Christmases pass unmarked on the calendar. I know you feel like you're like some guru philosopher that knows everything. You'll go you don't pay some dude hundreds shit. of dollars of money to hear him tell you what I've shared with you. Who did I share? Who did I spend? Some training probably. And then you'll come home and be like, hey, Ben, guess what I learned? Oh, you know what? I know because all the things that I know I've learned from the good old Benjamin Motley. I didn't, you never said and that. You are very welcome. Anyways, I digress. Um, you so you you need to have time where there's just no stimulation, and you get to just hang out, and hopefully people just do their own thing and like read a book. Oftentimes, it doesn't happen in our house. We end up playing a board game or something, but just having that downtime, and I think being able to do that just naturally helps someone or, or teach them to decompress. So I think that's so a you're really healthy way. Increasing downtime in the home. Uh, yes. Or yeah. No screens. Mm-hmm. Or okay. even doing it like an hour. I think. What we do like an hour before bedtime, we try not to have any type of stimuli, or at least visual. I think you're moving towards another really important part of this, which is having those bedtime routines. Mm-hmm. And um, your good friend, Dr. Edwards, talks a lot about this, mm-hmm. about the need for um, nighttime routines Yeah, where you're with them while they get ready for bed. You're with mm-hmm. them while they brush their teeth, that kind of stuff. You're with them when they get into bed. Mm-hmm. You spend time with them um, 
sharing a story, reading together. Or maybe just laying with them to get them settled. We do meditation a lot with them Mm -hmm. at night. And one of the things I I really emphasize with uh, parents uh, who come in to see me, and they talk about their own stress level and building resilience, um, is having that bedtime so it helps with them. And it helps with their mental health that they have, their child has a set bedtime, so that's separate from theirs. So if our kids go to bed at a certain time, it may be an hour or two hours later that we before we go to bed. So we have that time to decompress from our own children oh, and I from the day. I just asleep with the kids. That's true. So maybe it's me. You Hence may- <laughs> why we are probably going to get a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. I heard it here first, folks. Um, and so I think those routines are good for just emotional health in general. Mm-hmm. I think it helps kids learn how to predict things. Yeah. And so in the morning, kind of having some set routines that reduce the drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of this time of just chatting, but finding ways that your kids talk. Right, right exactly. So like we were talking about um, our son wants to be held and wants to be physically close to you um, and wants to almost stay in silence. Mm-hmm. And then when he does have a question, he demands you answer it. Mm-hmm. And, and then with our daughter, she also likes to be very physically close on her terms, when she wants it. Right. And at the same time, it's going to be full of lots of conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself always ha- like just needing to adjust. And then as they go through the years, they change. Right. And so in a few months, it might flip. And one of them wants more communication, the other one doesn't. And so I think we have to build into our schedules, which can be challenging, time for each of them. Mm-hmm. And so that they each have that downtime where they're not forced to communicate, they're not pushed, you know, we don't ask them a bunch of questions, but they have this space to do so, which they can choose to fill right. out however they like. And I think one of the things in terms of building resili- resiliency um, in children is being able to recognize their nonverbal, right? So we, and I think our son does that a lot uh, with having this nonverbal. Um, and we spend a lot of time, I think, just busy in the home or just busy in life. And Sometimes it may just be just slowing down enough to be an observer of what's happening to your children. Like, how are they communicating with you through their nonverbals, through their facial expressions? Um, and that we, I'm not even going to talk about a training because you're going to then tell me that, like, you told me this. I probably did. What, was it but, one of my trainings? No, nah, it wasn't. <laughs> Uh, but it's one of the things where, you know, start helping a child recognize and build resiliency is just being able to recognize as a parent through their nonverbal, like if their child comes in the house and their demeanors change, recognizing that, bring it to their attention so that they feel like they can talk to you. Sometimes they want you. Can you give an example of that? So our daughter, I want to say maybe during the holidays, came into the house. She went outside, hang out with, hung out with some people. I'm in the neighborhood, and they came back in. These people we knew are just random strangers. Probably random people, yeah. Right. Uh, but demeanor just changed. You could see the look on her face just change. And you know, and I looked at her and was about to turn back around. We had people at the house, and I stopped and was like, "Hey, like you look different. Like is everything okay?" And then it was kind of like that hesitancy of like, um, "I'm not sure," or I think she may have said no. And I was like, "Well, you look like you're like you're upset." Like, and they tell me what's happened. And over time, she eventually told me. And I think sometimes with parents, and I'll speak about in my household, like I would come in the house and have that look on my face. And if my mom's busy doing stuff, she, it wouldn't be an acknowledgement that, hey, this child demeanor's changed. She looks like you could tell there's stress on her face. Let me now acknowledge that and ask her how, how she's doing. And I think over time, if parents, if you if that happens with the child and they never say anything, that child goes to another level of like, then how else do I get my parents' attention if it's not through that nonverbal communication? But more than that, 
it's that sense of like I have people there to support me. Mm-hmm. So I distinctly remember, you know, kind of growing up and feeling like whatever problem I experienced, I experienced alone. Right. And there wasn't other people I could share those issues with. I don't mm-hmm. know if that was true for the two of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's that feeling of like providing your kids. And we'll, we'll talk about what the adults need to do too because we focus a lot on the kids. But providing the kids the sense of I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. Like whatever your experience is, I got time. Without I judgment. Got energy. Like let we'll create space for it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you can do that on just big issues. No, it has to be small. I think you have to do it on daily issues mm-hmm. and when those big issues come up. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I didn't know you on the street and I walk up to you and I'm like, Jamisa, how's your sex life? You're like, what the hell? Because that's a really big topic to ask. I out may. Of I share. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to be a part of it, sir? <laughs> Not that far, but yeah. <laughs> um, however, if we're close and if we talk about these things on a regular basis, then when issues come up in those areas, it's very easy to have those conversations mm-hmm. because you're just used to talking about things together. Right. Um, and so let's, let's kind of shift a little bit. So in the green area, kind of the day to day stuff, what do parents need to be doing to add to this family resilience? Um, for themselves personally, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's having that time on their own to decompress, to build their own resiliency, to be able to recognize like if they are struggling, um, or if their F3 is kicked in, um, and then how do they manage that? In you a want way to explain that's F3 just in case people haven't heard. So the fight, episode. so with their stress and anxiety and or anxiety, oftentimes um, we go into fight, flight, or freeze. I heard a couple more Fs. I said three. Fight. No, no, no. I heard a couple more Fs this week that I thought oh. were interesting. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, are you the one listener right now? Uh, no, we have uh, someone else in here with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the other Fs, one is obviously faint, which... I think we're fairly familiar mm-hmm. with. The other one that I thought was really interesting was fawn, F-A-U-N. Hmm. And it means to like kind of smooth talk or present in such a positive way that you get out of danger. And mm-hmm. how often do we see this? Like how often do you see people learn this kind of toxic positivity in an effort Mm. to ward off danger. Mm -hmm. Or if I just act super positive and super upbeat, then maybe I can fix this family or Mm -hmm. maybe I can rescue this family, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And so I was really interested in that fawn. The faint one seems kind of very similar to freeze, but... um, Like um, like we talked about the fainting goat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I really like this idea of like, you know, turning around to the bear and be like, Listen, Bear, we've we've been friends for a long time. It's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're not fighting, you're not freezing. Mm-hmm. But you're really trying to win people over. And we see so many people with that mm-hmm. personality mm-hmm. who are always trying to kind of get their way out of danger by mm-hmm. smooth talking. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I just put that out there because I heard it this week and I thought it was interesting. But what he wrote, wrote the bloody book around the F3 titles. It was too late for that. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe volume two will have fawn in it. Who knows? Um, what the hell were we talking about? Oh, how do parents build resilience? Mm-hmm. And I want to say parents. I just think adults. Because I mean, sure, there are many people that's listening that they yeah, have do adult this children. Before you have kids. Yeah, or either just choose not to. But I think it's a matter of like building this into your daily life. What's interesting, I want to talk about neurodivergence for a second because I'm an expert. <laughs> and then can we come back to like the four things that really have been proven to build resilience? Yes. Okay. So what I was talk- speaking with someone who is neurodivergent and mm. young, not you. 
Oh. Um, and they're in their 20s. And we were talking Someone about- Someone that you actually listen to, perhaps. Yeah. And so they were sharing with me, we were talking about their stress level. So we were talking about building resiliency and be able to manage your daily stress. And they're like, they can't recognize when their stress level is low. They only recognize it when it gets to a certain point. Um, and we were talking about like building in resiliency, like building in factors to help them build up resiliency every day. And like what that would look like for them because they cannot recognize um, and we were even trying to do it um, when I spoke with them, like, okay, tell me, like, uh, did you have a big day today? Yes. Did you have a lot going on? Yes. Tell me about your stress. And they're like, I can't do it because I'm not in the moment of that stress. So they couldn't go back and recognize it. And you may be able to relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say, okay. You and I have talked about that before even. Yeah. So they're like, in the moment, I can recognize that, but I can't recognize it now. And so I was like, okay, then let's talk about. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait. I'm I'm trying to. No, no, no. Do you not remember when I told you that? And you're like, what the hell's wrong with you? Of course you can go back. You didn't. Oh, I didn't. You were in my office. I distinctly remember no, 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 what was no. happening. We were at home and we were talking about just different types of trauma. And you were saying, can you conjure up how that feels now? And I'm like, no, because I'm not in any. And you're like, Ben, you just have to think about it. And then the feelings come. Like, they don't come back unless I'm experiencing it. The feelings are not mm-hmm. there. And so it sounds like you're a lot more compassionate with this client. So back to what I was saying about the client. So we talked about ways that they can do this, which is listening to music, listening to like something that they enjoy on their phone to be able, because they can't identify it, but they know it's probably there, but you're able to decompress to help them build resiliency. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay, that was, that was my spell about the, about like neurodivergent communities, because sometimes it, I, I think I can say. My experience in the neurodivergent community is that we often don't feel things until they're at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. So it's like the guy who's doing shots on the bar mm-hmm. stool and doesn't know he's drunk until, until he, he falls. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So then do you feel, though, when we talk about building resiliency, like you have to do it regardless if you feel that yes. or not. Like you just have to put it as a day-to-day practice. And you know this about me, right? Like, I know, but I want to kind of like Oh, sorry, to, to pull it out. It. Yes. Um, yeah, so for me, like, and you'll remind me of this, like, okay, Ben, you know. You go take the dock for a walk. Your emotional health is great right now, mm-hmm. and you still need to be engaging in these daily behaviors to make mm-hmm. sure it stays that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, like using anxiety or stress as an example, I won't feel it at all, mm-hmm. which can be seen as like a quote-unquote superpower because it seems like, wait, wait, because it, it, it looks to other people who don't know you well like you don't experience stress. Mm-hmm. But then when you do experience it, it's so it's overwhelming. Such, exactly. It's really difficult to manage. So for the people who know you, they see the ups and downs. Mm-hmm. For the people who don't know you, they're like, oh, you're so calm. Mm-hmm. How do you manage it? And mm-hmm. it's not you're, you're super calm. laid back, yeah. And so the same thing happens in neurodivergence with pain. Mm-hmm. Is that a lot, a lot of people who are on the autism spectrum, we may not experience pain until it gets to a much higher amount. Mm-hmm. And by that point, it may be more difficult to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was our conversation about that. So yeah. And I want to bring that up because as we're talking, I think we are talking when we make these references about like, you need to build these things when you feel stressed, like mm-hmm. that's for neurotypicals. But I think for someone who is neuro in the neurodivergent community, that may not necessarily always be the case. So let's talk about what we know increases resilience in adults. Mm-hmm. One, non-judgmental communication. Mm-hmm. We'll go through them quickly and then we'll come back. Okay. Two, Exercise. Three, healthy eating. Mm-hmm. And four, mindfulness. What about sleep? And five, good sleep. Okay. Sleep hygiene, I think. Sleep the hygiene, yes, that's what we call it. Why do we call everything such like fancy <laughs> I don't names? know. 
Just proper sleep. Getting sleep. I actually just read about sleep hygiene recently because I keep having really vivid dreams that just feel like real life. Like they're mm-hmm. not crazy dreams. They it's just caveman outfits. No, they're really boring. Like I'll, I'll just be like sitting around, and then I'll wake up and be like, "How? <laughs> like how am I here?" And so yeah, I saw sleep hygiene for the first time. Like, yeah. So what have you learned about what you're experiencing? Nothing that it could be just anxiety. <laughs> I don't know. And the funny thing is, it was like, uh, we recommend you work on your anxiety. I was like, huh, all right, good. <laughs> Didn't think of that one. <laughs> so we're not going to go into sleep hygiene today. Right. We're not going to go into good nutrition or exercise. I think there's enough places that talk about that. Um, non-judgmental relationships and mindfulness, to me, are the same thing. However... I feel like mindfulness is creating a non-judgmental relationship with yourself. Right. So let's talk about non-judgmental relationships first, and then maybe we can move into mindfulness. Okay. Right. So non-judgmental relationships are relationships where you can be who you are without shame being used. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Absolutely. Do you have any of those relationships? I think so. Hmm. <laughs> with whom? I don't know. I can't think of anyone in my household. Amin's pretty non-judgmental with you. Seeming. Mm-hmm. In your head, you're doing lots of shame. I'm very judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> so I think everyone can kind of connect to that, right? Yeah. We all strive to have relationships with people who don't shame us. This is like the stereotypical challenges that adult kids have with their parents. Mm-hmm. It's like no matter what they say, they get shamed. Right. <laughs> like, oh, you're going to dress your child like that, huh? <laughs> well, that's very brave of you. <laughs> And you letting like her that. walk out the house with her hair looking like that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So last time that boy got a haircut. <laughs> um, so we can recognize what non-judgmental relationships are. Mm-hmm. My experience is that most people seem to have the most abusive relationship with themselves. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, we are our worst critics. And I think this is where mindfulness comes in. Mm-hmm. The definition we're going to use for mindfulness is paying attention to the present moment with non-judgmental awareness so how do we learn to do this because right now people are probably listening and if they're anything like most people they're probably doing four or five things Mm -hmm. which means they're not really paying attention and being present with that one thing to anything right they're just functioning on what we call automatic mode but that's how most of us Mm -hmm. humans function i think the other thing to understand about the human experience is we can break it up into channels Mm mm-hmm And so we have our thinking channel, we have our feeling channel, we have our sense of smell channel, sense of hearing, sense of taste, sense of touch, and sense of vision or eyesight. And if we break it up into these seven channels, you can ask yourself, what am I being present with? What is the primary channel I'm paying attention? Because notice, all seven channels are constantly receiving input. Mm -hmm. You constantly have thoughts, you constantly have feelings, you constantly have tactile sensations, smells. Like, Jamisa, pay attention to the sound of the cars outside. Do you hear them? And you were always hearing them, but they weren't your bring, primary channel. Right, you channel. bring it into focus, right. Your primary channel was mm-hmm. kind of, we're engaging in this podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Or feel the temperature of your skin. What temperature would you say your hands are right now? I don't know, they're warm. Okay. So that temperature was there the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was just on a, like a secondary channel. Mm-hmm. So what primary channel do you think you use the most? Um, 
I know touch. Not thinking? I know. So do you spend most of your time? No, I would say thinking. I'm constantly planning mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so most humans to a fault. are like 99.9999% of their attention is in this thinking, mm-hmm. problem-solving uh, channel. And it's interesting that you say that because as practicing mindfulness, I try to make a point to go back to my body and feel my body Mm -hmm. um, to determine where I am and what I need to do. So I know this sounds, it may sound silly, but like, is my butt clenching as I sit in a chair? And if it is, is it? Not right now. Uh, but like even if I'm sitting in a chair in therapy and I'll recognize like, man, my butt is really clenched, like my hips and my, my pelvic area is tight, like I need to relax um, so that I can. And the moment I do that, everything else seems to just settle down. So as we talk about, like I am always thinking I'm always in planning mode um, and being able to even recognize that, like, hey, I'm planning. I'm sitting with Ben and we're enjoying a good dinner. We may be out somewhere and I'm like, so what do you think we should do with the kids tomorrow? But being able to recognize I'm doing that, you'll bring it to my attention, though I find it annoying at times. but. Because mm-hmm. you all tend to do that right as you start to settle down, right? Mm-hmm. As you start to relax, you then go into planning mode. Mm-hmm. It's as though your brain's being resistant to being in the present moment. Right. right. And I think most people function that way. I mean, you've talked about that a lot too, right? Yep. Um, you have a great deal of difficulty just coming into the present moment. And mm-hmm. as soon as you start to slow down, you move into problem solving. Yes. And I stress about all the things that I'm now ignoring. Okay. Now, as... The two of you start to listen to sounds outside. Just do that for a a few seconds. Luckily, there's lots of traffic. As you start to feel the texture of clothes against your skin or the contact between your feet and the floor, what do you find happens to your thinking channel? Slow sound. Yeah. So when we pay attention to our thinking channel, it tends to speed up. Mm -hmm. When we pay attention to other channels, the thinking tends to be less invasive. Mm -hmm. Do you think people tend to identify with their thoughts? And this is going to sound crazy for a little bit, but we'll go down this path for a little bit. Identify with their thoughts? Mm -hmm. Like they think their thoughts are who they are. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. I I see that often in therapy. Um, And we spend, I spend a lot of time talking about like, that maybe a bit of dissonance mm-hmm. there. So we th- see thoughts as us, mm-hmm. but we don't see the same with these other channels. Mm-hmm. We don't say, I am this smell. I am this taste. Mm-hmm. I am this sound. Separate from us. So is it possible to experience thoughts in the same way we experience these other sensory experiences? We should be able to. And to me, this is how you build non judgmental relationship with yourself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because if you're not careful these thoughts start to sound like you attacking you right about who you are right versus here are thoughts that emerge and thoughts are just a combination of all your life experience up to that point mm-hmm. with however your brain functions mm-hmm. i try to get the example sometimes i think it means having a deep introspective moment yeah for sure because i am one of those people that probably identifies overly with their own thoughts It's like, that's what makes me who I am, how I see the world. Mm -hmm. So back when you were in med school, did you feel a sense of importance because of the position you were in? Strangely, no. I found the importance uh, in comparing myself to everyone. It's like, oh, these guys are the smart ones. (laughs) 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 
which yeah, <laughs> in hindsight wasn't great. But okay, so you still had that sense of me versus mm-hmm. based on your thoughts. Yes. Like, where did you learn your? Because you're a very intelligent individual. Where did you get being intelligent from? Definitely the way my parents raised me. Okay, is genetics at play at all? Potentially, but I think even if they weren't, they would have pushed me into learning more. So, all things that you had nothing to do with. Yes. Genetics in your environment. Yes. And yet you take credit for the end result. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I say because you're that very you are you're yeah. very confident, which I I think mm-hmm. is great. But you're very confident in your your abilities, your um your intellect. Thank you, thank you. And so this is what I find fascinating. We take credit for our thoughts or for our abilities mm-hmm. that we had zero to do with. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting. And we're like, look at me. I'm an <laughs> impressive individual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for mindfulness, not only are you learning to build this non-judgmental relationship with yourself, but through that non-judgment, you let go of the pride and you let go of the shame. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Which is really difficult because mm-hmm. I think in our country we're like, we will avoid negative emotions by being positive. But by building up toxic positivity, you also build up our inability to deal with difficult emotions. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to teach kids to be resilient, one of the ways you can do that is by creating space for all experience. Right. Not just trying to push them towards one. Mm-hmm. Someone told me, um, like... It was me. They, their parents... <laughs> as a child, maybe, and even now as an adult, will always be like, why are you looking so sad? You need to smile. You need to Mm -hmm. smile. And so they feel like that toxic positivity, like they always have to have that one at all times. They have to look externally that way, but then they also even have to think that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I often talk about, like, uh, you talked about our thoughts and how we believe our thoughts to be who we are. Like, you know, I I don't know this is a great example, but I will use this example sometimes of, like, I think of random stuff all the time. Like, it may be 8 o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking about a mushroom and garlic pizza. Like, how random is that? Mm-hmm. And so if that's a random thought that I can dismiss, these thoughts about who I am or what I, you know, an event that happened and I didn't think this about myself, I need to see that as random as garlic mushroom pizza mm-hmm. at 8 a.m. So, yeah, we shouldn't necessarily take credit for our abilities. We shouldn't be ashamed of what um, challenges we may have created in our own lives and the lives of others. What we can do, though, is take stock of where we're at Mm -hmm. and how we can use those abilities wisely. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the things I love about Amin is he's in this med school program that people would die to get into. And he's like, I don't think this is going to help me use my abilities very well to care for other people. Mm -hmm. (coughs) So what does he do? Finds old Ben Motley. I know. (laughs) But I think it's interesting you talked about all that because that was the realization that I had that made me go, oh, this arrogance is not deserved, right? Mm -hmm. This overconfidence is not deserved. Like I was around all these people and they were like, I work so hard. And it's like a lot of them came from doctors, right? Mm -hmm. A lineage of doctors. And then I was like, I didn't come from that. But then I come from a father who's a PhD, Mm -hmm. right? And so I was like, yeah. So my intelligence might have been more just how I grew up and mm-hmm. what what I've been given. And so maybe I didn't have the greatest experience growing up, but my parents can definitely say they gave me the tools I needed to be academically successful. And so like you said, I can't really take credit for that. And mm-hmm. so I saw a bunch of people taking all this credit and mm-hmm. thinking they were better than other people. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Next up, they'll say, but I had a good work ethic. Yes. Okay. And then you say, well, where did you get that from? Exactly. It's and so all everything learned. you have, you pick up yes. somewhere. Mm-hmm. 
And some of it may not be learned. Like people grow up in the mm-hmm. same families. You see this with identical twins. Yeah. And don't necessarily turn out the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it's interesting just to stop taking credit yeah. <laughs> for, for whoever we are. And once you get away from this identity thing, there's nothing to defend. So if Jamisa says to me, hey, Ben, you're racist. And we see this on mm-hmm. TikTok all the time. Like We'll say to European Americans, like, hey, I think you're racist. And they're like, that's the worst thing you could tell someone. But if Jamisa were to say to me, I'm racist and I don't have that identity, mm-hmm. I can say like, well, hell, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be seen as um, racist or I don't want to cause pain to other people would be mm-hmm. a more effective response. And um, what can I do differently? Mm-hmm. But if I have that strong sense of identity, mm-hmm. then I have to tell Jamisa, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. Because I have, <laughs> I could mm-hmm. probably like name the number of black friends, right? That kind of ridiculousness. And I think we see it all the time. Um, I think, and I'm going to be, this I think is a, is a very like more of a, a silly kind of example. So like where we take our dogs to get groomed, like they talk about dogs as if they're humans, and they're like that dog has no home training. And other people would take offense to that, and I'm like, and I'll tell them like, yeah, I know my dog didn't have, a, and like I'd see it as being funny where mm-hmm. people take like that is a part of who they are, that is their mm-hmm. identity, their dog, and this dog has to behave, and it's like, yeah, my dog's crazy as hell. Like, can you please give him a bath? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like someone um, called me fat on TikTok the other day when we were doing a live and they had gotten to the point where they realized their pattern of thinking was closely aligned with racist thinking. And so their response to that is, you're fat. <laughs> and I think a lot of people in our society take offense to mm-hmm. that. Whereas if you look at it objectively, there's there's no positive, there's no negative. Or even like yesterday, someone said that Ben was like not being nice. And we're like, <laughs> we are cracking up laughing. Amin and I, Amin is like dying laughing. Was it Jamisa, Ramin? No. And then they're like, they were saying it about you. They didn't know that I, that I was married, <laughs> that you and I are married. And they're like, they're For like, is, is that your, and someone was like, is that your husband? I was like, yeah. And I think the person who said it that I was, and I was like, yeah, like mm-hmm. he may, you may have thought he was me, but like it's not a personal attack mm-hmm. to me. And you have to be able to have that separation, right? Where you can have that space mm-hmm. where it's not everything is not an identity. This is my coat. These mm-hmm. are your glasses. It's just things, mm-hmm. yeah. You know? And then when things feel less personal, I think it's easier to feel more grounded, mm-hmm. more strength, and more importantly, you can give your kids so much more space to express themselves because Mm -hmm. you're not attached to them showing up one way or another. Right. There's a, um, where we take our kids to piano, Mm -hmm. there's another family um, who around the same time, I won't say if it's before or after in case Mm -hmm. someone happens to be listening, but like every week they show up and their daughter is in like an immaculate outfit Mm -hmm. with an immaculate bow Mm -hmm. and everything's always immaculate. Mm -hmm. And at some point you realize the pressure Put from on both this girl. No, the both though. You and talk about the girl, but I think even the parent, like this pressure to like be mm-hmm. in this identity to be um a certain way. And it's fine or if to you look just, a certain way. If you just really enjoy dressing a certain way and you enjoy that and that brings you joy. But then the pressure you must feel to put that on a young girl is an extension mm-hmm. of you. And mm-hmm. you start seeing these traps or the dad who wants his son to be a football player. Because it's an extension of mm-hmm. his identity. So the further out your identity spreads, be it to other people, to parts of the country, to the whole country, the more pain you're going to experience mm-hmm. when that identity gets challenged. So we see this mm-hmm. on TikTok all the time. We'll be asking questions about America and things that need to change in America. And people will say, if you don't like it, get the hell out. Yep. Classic. Yeah, because th- for them, there's no room. Well, it's for just fear. It. Right. And so I agree. Like the moment we're able to slow down, we're able to see things. And not take it personally. Yeah. 
and you're able to say, okay, this is how it is, mm-hmm. and you're be you're more accepting versus I just need to push. It's the perseverance. So if I need you're to like push through this, Ben, you're racist, and I'm able to say, whoa, I need to change some things. Mm-hmm. Or if you say, hey, America doesn't do this well, I'm like, whoa, we need to change some things. Mm-hmm. Or if you say your kids are doing this, and I'm like, whoa, we need to change some things. It's such a healthier place to begin mm-hmm. than no, they're not. Well, Get the I, hell out. I think to not, I think to be mindful though is to see that there's constantly, there's always a shift. Mm-hmm. There's, things are always moving. Um, the books that we've read, we can talk. I'm sure there's plenty of books that we can throw out in terms of titles. Uh, like mindfulness for beginners is one of those books that I think that we've used before in a mind, in um, a meditation practice. I was thinking the rabbit just listened. But. Yeah, the, uh, that too. Um, or John Kabat Zinn. Um, uh, it is mindfulness for beginners for him, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things that he talks about is like when you're able to slow down, you're able to see that there, things are constantly changing around us. Um, I want to say it may have been Eckhart Tolle, a book that I was reading. He was like the moment, even if you're sitting in a meditation, in a, mind, in a practice, and you're meditating for a while, the, even if you move a little bit, things have just shifted. They just seem change in that way from the smallest thing of me, you know, adjusting my leg. It's almost like all structures are unstable. It's all structures are unstable. Unsta- but people don't like that. Mm-mm. That's scary to think about that. But resilience comes from making space for things to be unstable. Mm-hmm. And so rather than being like, this is my family. This is our set definition. This what is this who family we are. looks like. Mm-hmm. It's so, I think, a much better approach to resilience is being curious. I wonder who my children are. I wonder who my wife is today. Mm-hmm. Now, Jamisa. Think about the best date you've ever been on with me. Oh, okay. I'm glad you <laughs> clarified. <laughs> How much curiosity was there versus we're going to go to Olive Garden, then we're going to come home and watch a stupid movie on Netflix. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. That curiosity is what makes things interesting for me, and I think it's such a huge aspect of resilience. Mm-hmm. And so there's a funny story I think it comes out of like the Coptic Christian faith, um, where there's a uh, priest and every day he walks from his house to the church. After church ends, he goes to the park, walks around the park for 30 minutes and walks home. And so he does this every day and this policeman's watching him and the policeman's like, huh, I think I'm going to mess with him today. And so he says to the priest as he leaves church, where are you heading? And the priest is like, I don't know. And the policeman's like, well, of course you know. And the priest's like, I don't know. Priest was like, we all know where you're headed. Uh, and the priest was like, I don't know. And the priest was like, hey, I don't like how you're being a smart aleck. Every day you go to the park. He's like, I don't know. And so the policeman, this escalates and escalates. Eventually the policeman um, puts him in handcuffs and puts him in the back of the cop car. And the priest says, see, I told you. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> and it's this kind of approach to life where if you can be curious, you mm-hmm. then don't get disappointed that you're in handcuffs in the back of the cop car <laughs> because you had that, you had made enough space for these things to happen. Mm-hmm. But these people with very set identities about their families, about this is who these kids are. Then when their kid isn't that way, they have to manage their own emotions before they can even make space for the kid's emotion. Yeah, well, no, they don't do that. They just force the kid back into mm-hmm. like who they think the kid should be. Mm-hmm. So I think what's interesting about mindfulness um, is how that even looks, right? Like, what does this practice of mindfulness look like? And I think people have this idea that is always sitting and is always meditating. 
So I don't think it has to look like that all the time. <laughs> That's how I send this mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> and so for children, clearly it's not, they're not going to sit for 20 or 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, for even the three of us at this table, that may not seem reasonable. Um, for some of my clients, they're like, I can't sit and do that. So then it's like, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Like, how do then I learn to be mindful and you just talked about this in, my, in regards to like doing one thing at a time. So if I am standing in front of the dryer and I'm folding clothes, I just need to stand in front of that dryer. I need to get every piece of clothes out and I need to be mindful about what it is that I'm and doing. And which channel would you be paying attention to? I think it would just be, I think, oh, so many of them, right? So touch, mm-hmm. temperature. So that would be touch, right? Mm-hmm. Would, would you be feeling the clothes? Or would you be thinking about tomorrow I've got this kind of no. work to do? So I really have started to put this into practice. So if I am standing in front of the dryer, I am standing in front of the dryer, and I'm getting every piece of clothes out, and I am carefully folding that, I'm looking at it, I'm turning it inside out, and I am folding it, and then I'm putting it in the basket. And that is really, and I've had to learn to do that because I'll, you know, I'll spend time multitasking. It's like, no, if I'm going to be in this laundry room, I'm only going to be in the laundry room, and I'm only going to fold these clothes. And I am, and it is about touch. And and that really actually or you settles could me down. Smell right, mm-hmm. like the lavender yeah. dryer sheets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's whatever you want to tune into in terms of like at that time, um, and with in regards to our senses. So if I'm out and I'm working in the yard and I'm pulling up weeds, I just need to be pulling up those weeds, and I can enjoy the smell of the grass. I can enjoy the the touch of the dirt on my fingers. Um, I think you and so. It doesn't have to be this, like you have to, to commit to sitting for 20 and 30 minutes every day. Because for some people, it's just not going to work out. And they just, they're not going to be able to find the time. You know I'm going to struggle with that, right? What's that? Well, I think you're talking about the practice of informal mindfulness. Informal mindfulness. Yes, informal. I think you have to have a formal practice or your informal mindfulness is not going to Oh, I agree with that. And so, and I know there's different perspectives on this. This is just me with my binary brain. But I really think having a formal practice helps them bleed into an informal practice. But I was going to say, but there are days that I'm not going to be able to sit. Mm -hmm. And so for those days, I have to find other ways to be mindful. Mm -hmm. I'm trying really hard not to challenge that. Don't challenge it. Just move on. Wait, let me just make that switch in my brain. All right. The other thought I'm having is for us to do today's episode justice, it's going to be like two hours. So do we want to... Split this one into two. We may have to. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. This is already one of six. It's been an hour, almost an hour now. Yeah. Um, so we'll keep that in mind. So how about next week we talk about what makes a formal practice, mm-hmm. what makes an informal practice. I want to talk about the benefits of it too. We'll talk about the benefits of it, but we'll also talk about moving into ye- yellow and red areas with trauma mm-hmm. and how to build up resilient families that can manage that. Mm-hmm. So we'll use today's episode as kind of like an intro to mindfulness, an intro to resilience, and then we'll do some more work next okay. week. Sounds like a plan. All righty. Amin, want to let people know how they can engage with us? All righty. So our live schedule has changed a little bit, but we go live every day at noon, every weekday at noon. Uh, so you can challenge Ben <laughs> on whatever you might think. Uh, yeah, come join us on the TikTok live. <laughs> 
and tell me why you're not racist and why you're not sensitive. And then when I point out how you are, start yelling. And there you go. Uh, that, that tends to be the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> yeah, very predictable. Yeah. I'm not emotional. Gets very emotional. Yeah. Yells a little bit. <laughs> leaves. <laughs> or doesn't leave. Tells you to leave. <laughs> yeah. I've been told to leave off my own live multiple times this week. We were doing the 9 o'clock one, but I kept falling asleep at 8.30. Mm-hmm. So that's no longer working out. There you go. You know, and probably what, for the sake of your marriage, you probably want to not do that at nine. <laughs> and then, what other ways? And then they can also go to our Instagram at Three Trees Change. They can look up uh, our YouTube Three Trees Center for Change. And we got some trainings coming up too. There's yeah. a training with Scavassa at the end of um, next week on mm-hmm. Friday, and then we have um, a training with Safe Passage mm-hmm. coming up. That'll be a full day one. It's kind of closed to the public though. Um, so yeah, if you're interested in kind of bringing this stuff into your workplace, let us know. People are now requesting Jamisa come with me. I think it's to mind me and to police me. But uh, probably we had a lady call this week. She said, "Can you bring Jamisa? She sounds much more reasonable than you." And she, <laughs> and she also told me to be nicer to Amin on the podcast. Yeah, we need more people like that. We do. Mm-hmm. All right, I look forward to hearing what you've learned at Trump University this coming week, Amin. All righty. Hope everyone has a nice week. Take care.